Green. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is going to be an amazing journey today. Hope you're ready for liftoff. We are live now. Well, this is awesome. Uh, I'm Michael, Michael Mann, the host of Planetary Health First, Mars Next, and I'm so excited. I, I've been trying, I don't want to say I'm a stalker, but I've been trying to get this celebrity, uh, Dr. <laughs> Owen Muir. He is so awesome. He, I, I stumbled upon him on Clubhouse, and I feel so bad. I, I want to meet you in person someday. So whether you come down to Virginia or I come up to New York or wherever we cross wherever or some conference, but we will do it. Um, and I know you are involved in so many different things, so many different startups. Of course, you're ground central. I don't know if it's a musician or a psychiatrist or the intersection of all creativity. And, and, and so anyway, let's just give you a, a second to share with our audience just a little bit about you and what you're doing. And then we'll move from, from there. Uh, so uh, I'm Owen Scott Muir. Uh, I have an, a medical doctorate from the University of Rochester. I did general psychiatry residency training at the Zucker Hillside Hospital, uh, child psychiatry fellowship at the NYU School of Medicine Bellevue program. Uh, and before that, I was a recording engineer at Sony Music Studios. Uh, and uh, I was a professional musician and recording engineer until I became a physician. And you know, my kind of overarching goal is to bring uh, understanding to misunderstandings and to champion things that are a big deal <laughs> when it comes to uh, the health, right? And so um, focusing on interventions and, and the ways to think about problems that are both specific and not trivial, right? So if it's gonna help, it should help a lot. And we need to balance um, our understanding of the problem and the scope of the problem with the scope of what's possible. And the hopeful news is remarkable outcomes are possible today and more are possible in the future. Wow. I love that intro. I had no idea you worked for Disney. Well, it wasn't Disney at the time. Um, it was uh, Sony Music Studios on okay. 54th and 10th. Um, and some of that, I don't know sure how much of that IP is now Disney's, but um my, my cousin's a mastering engineer. Uh, he's Chris mm -hmm. Athens, and he masters about a third of the Billboard Top 100 at any given time. My mom runs an arts not-for-profit uh, in Connecticut, which includes the largest jazz camp in the country, the Litchfield Jazz Camp. And so from age you know 16, I was both you know recording on reel-to-reel -reel tape and helping run you know hundreds of volunteers uh, mm -hmm. at a jazz festival for 15,000 people in a weekend at 16. Wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah. I, my, my biggest question to you is how do you balance all your interests? I feel like you're like the Leonardo da Vinci of healthcare. Well, Leonardo um, balances interests too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I think they're kind of unifying themes. Like, you know, my, my interest is in communicating in a way that's authentic uh, and helps people understand. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not a brilliant scientist. Uh, I'm a okay enough understander, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not, you know, a, a guy in the lab. I'm a guy in the, in the outpatient setting, uh, or sometimes hospital setting who's taking data that lab scientists have worked on and seeing what happens when you deploy it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
how do we get something realistically to the world? How do we understand what it does? And how do we communicate that understanding? That's all the same story. And that's mm -hmm. you know how you write a good song that's compelling. That's how you write a good story that's compelling. And when you practice something enough, like writing, for example, I write a daily healthcare newsletter at thefrontierpsychiatrist.substack.com, uh, which has its own podcast and videos and stuff, you get better at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I, I, the, the easiest way to put it is I'm an imperfectionist, mm -hmm. uh, but relentlessly. Yeah. No, I love that. So what is the problem with mental health? Well, first off, uh, the problem is nobody has any idea what that means. And I think first off, the problem with mental health is putting the word mental in front of health. Mm -hmm. I think there are health problems and the brain is connected to the body by this neck thing here. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And it's an interaction. There's a story we tell ourselves, but I, I think the mental health vacation of health problems, which overlap, but are different. So there is a difference between obsession and depression. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between, you know, anxiety and other kinds of worry and trauma, et cetera. And so getting at the underlying biology and the understanding that helps us modify that and at the same time having something specific to say. So we don't need to just talk about mental health. We need to talk about specific things. My joke for this is it's like saying there was a mobility crisis, but we've been filling cars up with water. And like, okay, sure, they're not moving, but the problem is what we're putting in them. Mm -hmm. right? We would never expect them to go if it was water. Um, and, and so there's a lot of lack of specificity uh, around what the problem is for any given person. And I don't think that does us any favors, maybe. I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, it just seems like, you know, how can you, with, with healthcare, there's so many specialists, like, how can you have good mental health or health if you don't have good diet, if you don't have good sleep, if your hormones, you know, your endocrine, I mean, it just seems like I know we have specialists to, to do certain things, but when, like, I, I love how you started it with trying to get rid of the first word mental, right? So I would love to, if you could dive into kind of what you in a perfect world, like where do we need to go, um, you think? And, and so I think it starts with, um, you know, we have this concept of differential diagnosis in medicine. And that means given history and exam, right? What, what the person tells us, what happened and what we're seeing, how do we put those things together and then make a list of all the things it could be given the information we have. Um, and then fin find out what it is, right? That's what we do in all of medicine, is we, we have history, what, what someone tells us, an exam, what we observe, and we, have a, we make a list in some kind of order, and we go through and try to figure it out. Because we wanna know what's the problem. And we don't stop at, well, you have a fever, it's fever disorder. Okay, we're gonna treat that with fever medicine and we're done. Mm -hmm. Like it is important to figure out if it's a virus or a bacteria that's causing your fever. Similarly, there are those concepts that could be applied to brain disorders. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm a psychiatrist who's sent 46 patients as of yesterday to my colleagues in rheumatology in the past three years. And I have been correct every single one of those referrals, which doesn't tell me about the ones I missed. Mm -hmm. And so where we need to go is m augmenting 
differential diagnosis as part of the process for everybody, because it turns out that's a hard thing to learn how to do and unrealistically hard for the number of people who need the help. And so even the concept that we have, you know, mental health professionals who are somehow different from health professionals means we have a whole category of people who are not trained in any meaningful way to assess the rest of the problem. And if you only have you know, half the book, right, your differential will miss half the things. And even in my own case, I was seeing a patient who I haven't seen for, for a number of years because she went and saw somebody else, but had seen me before and I missed the diagnosis. She had an underlying autoimmune disorder in addition to the psychiatric presenting problem. And I was wrong the last time because I didn't do enough of an exam or maybe time elapsed and things changed or something. But when you put together all the pieces of what's happened in someone's life with biological data, you can get to a better understanding of what's wrong and what can help. And in, in the case of someone who has an autoimmune disorder and it has presenting mood symptoms, well, you want to treat both in mm -hmm. ways that are really going to help. In, in rheumatology, I think, is, is, is in some ways miles ahead of psychiatry as a medical specialty um, in that not that they're that different, right? You're taking a history, you're doing an exam, you're getting labs, et cetera, to try to figure out what it is. And those conditions wax and wane, and there are some that show up on lab tests and some that don't. But you're using your judgment and your relationship with someone over time to suss out what it is at its core. And at the same time, we have to accept that our diagnoses are made up. They're a proxy for something underneath mm -hmm. that's real. Mm -hmm. But our attempts to define those real things have error built into them already and bias. Mm -hmm. And so humility around what those diagnoses might be, what's the problem, right, isn't a trivial question, either for the person or the person trying to understand it. Does that, does that work for you? I think it's a starting point, the journey. I'll give so you an example of how we might do this, because that may make it really concrete. I'm doing a study right now with the company for whom I am the chief medical officer, uh, which is called IRX Reminder. Uh, Tony Stearns, you may remember from Clubhouse, is the founder of that company. Uh, Fred Ma is our chief operating officer. It's a brilliant team. We have a grant from NAMH to do research on tardive dyskinesia identification. And the person who popped his head in is one of my colleagues, uh, Noga Schwartz, who uh, works on my team here at Fermata in Brooklyn. And we're doing a trial where we get video of people who are taking antipsychotic medications. And then we will be assessing those videos with expert raters and diagnosing whether the people in the video using the gold standard assessment have tardive dyskinesia, mm -hmm. which is a side effect of antipsychotic medications. And then we're teaching the artificial intelligence algorithms how to identify that on their own. And this is one tiny sliver of what I mean. If we mm -hmm. can take everybody's Zoom and give it the ability to let the clinician know that tardive dyskinesia might be a side effect the person's experiencing, even if they're not an expert, because they see mm -hmm. lip smacking on the video. Mm -hmm. And it says, look, a person might have tardive dyskinesia, right? Just mm -hmm. like the blood pressure cuff gave us information about mm -hmm. blood pressure we couldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so it's augmenting our senses with additional data that maybe is too subtle or too hard to learn to be an expert at everything. I mean, nobody can do that. 
Mm -hmm. But if we can do it with tardive dyskinesia as just a tiny slice of a problem, maybe we can apply that to other domains of problems. So can we have mm -hmm. an assessment built into the video, built into the data capture, built into the wearables, et cetera, that lets us know what the signs or symptoms or signals are for the underlying problem. Maybe we can do a better job of differentiating, you know, obsession from depression, from generalized anxiety, from trauma, from ADHD, distress, et cetera by getting all of the available data and helping everybody do a better job of walking through the what could this be series of questions with their patients um, or even themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's automating expertise in the process of diagnosis. And I think there's the flip side of that is automating expertise in the process of treatment selection once you know what you're treating. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this is great. We are here today with Dr. Owen Muir. This is awesome. I, I, is, is that what you're looking for? <laughs> right. So, Hey, we are just starting. This is just the journey getting into it. Yeah. My, so my general theme, you know, is like, can we automate the process of helping anybody figure out mm -hmm. what's wrong and what to do <laughs> really simply. And the thing we do should work. I like that. So basically, if we can have several of these automation processes to really tease out and really give you as a psychiatrist or the clinician that guiding the, those those data points, right? And then to augment that across or aggregate, excuse me, across a whole. Wow, that's pretty. That's super. I got it's almost like the uh, genome. I, yeah. What do you call that? So, so the Human Genome Project is a really good example of a large-scale science effort. Um, and yeah, it's replicating that for behavioral data. Mm. Um, so the Human Genome Project, they took all of, you know, they, they tons of science work, and they looked and finally figured out where every gene was and every protein. Um, they've done something similar with connection, functional connectivity in the brain, how one area of the brain syncs up with another, and that's called the Human Connectome Project, which my colleague Sean Siddiqui has done a lot of work on. And having a connectome or, or, or human genome project for data about behavior is the goal. And syncing that with uh, the, the direction, like having, you know, a hypothetical diagnosis, right? You don't have to have a hypothesis that anchors you up front. I'm depressed. Okay, you have major depressive disorder. I'm anxious. You have generalized anxiety disorder. I'm hearing voices. You have psychosis. It's asking the question, why, question mark, not exclamation point. Um, and the more we can get the data to help us understand and not get anchored in the way that humans do, the better we can be at not kind of making the wrong call too early and going down a treatment path that might not be helpful and might even be harmful. So we're talking about diagnosis. How about treatment? I know I've, I'm seeing that and forgive me, you tell me what it is, that little thing you put on. Um, that sounds sort of exciting. I mean, you know, down the hall. <laughs> and um, I guess what I would like to hear from you as, as a scientist, I think you're a scientist too, as well, clinician, scientist, musician, is there is definitely room for getting out. Like I, I, I've heard, you know, like 50% of all lower back surgeries probably are not necessary, some crazy stuff like that. So I imagine a lot of treatment, um, such like, for instance, 
like what, so you have cognitive talk therapy, for instance, I've heard also like three times a, a week running or cardiovascular might be more effective. Is that true than antidepressants? I don't know if there's one. Have you heard something like I've that? Heard, is, I mean, I hear all sorts of things all the time. Okay. So uh, I, so let example. me just, let me just, so, so I guess, how do we like as a, the overview, like the different ways, modalities to help like obviously social interaction, different engagement. So how do we put that together, um, you, you know, to help people, you know what I mean? Like different modalities and I'll stop it. I'll stop at that. So exactly. But that question you asked, how do we put it together? The mm -hmm. thing I laid out up front, like I'd love to have a good process of automating differential diagnosis to help everybody do a better job of it. The flip side of that observational AI, as I like to call it, um, is treatment selection and, and AI-guided treatment. Uh, so the, the best example of this that's in the market right now is probably Saint Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Treatment. In that treatment, uh, which is an FDA breakthrough for depression, and I will be doing as part of an open-label dose optimization study in, you know, half an hour um, in my office uh, here in Brooklyn, um, we take an, a functional MRI and a structural MRI. So it's a picture of your brain and a movie of your brain's function over time. And just like you can't diagnose what's wrong with a golf swing by x-raying someone's arm, right? Because a golf swing is a movement problem, mm -hmm. right? Your arm could be fine and you could still be a terrible golfer, <laughs> right? No, no amount of imaging of the club <laughs> is going to answer the question because it's, you know, the function of the swing. There's a movement issue. And so for Saint, we took structural MRI to know where in the brain functional MRI, a movie of how the brain's talking to itself. And there is an algorithm guided by artificial intelligence that tells us exactly the right spot to stimulate with brain stimulation. The brain stimulation we use in this uh, treatment is transcranial magnetic stimulation, which provides a pattern of stimulation to just the right spot for your depression to get it to remission in 79% of people who have never responded to anything mm. else. And so the numbers are as remarkable as, as they sound, but that 79% is with five days of treatment in people with 20 years of depression for whom 13 medications mm. on average have not been helpful. This is the best treatment that has mm. ever existed for depression. Your depression can be in remission, not 50% less miserable, over 79% of the time in five days of treatment. That, that is that is incredible. It's yeah. almost it's almost like uh, like uh, you know when these investors say I'm going to give you twenty percent return year after year. It's like mm -hmm. it's just It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. it, it is true, however. Yeah. So this is this is I, I work. Uh, one of my jobs is as as the senior vice president for strategy at Acacia Clinics, which was mm -hmm. the contract research organization that did the FDA approval work for Saint. I'm also mm -hmm. a consultant. Full disclosure mm -hmm. for Magnus Medical, which is the company bringing it to market, and friends with Nolan Williams, the scientist at Stanford, who did the basic science work. So, how does one become a sales rep for that uh, technology? Seems like, gosh, that would be selling off the the shelf like uh, hotcakes. Well, uh, I, I don't know because <laughs> it's brand new, <laughs> uh, and, and the real answer is we got to get it paid for, right? Mm -hmm. um, and with stroke, we have some basic protocols, right? You're having a stroke, everybody knows it's an emergency. 
mm-hmm. and you go to the hospital and you get a brain scan right away because we mm-hmm. don't want you to die from a stroke. Mm-hmm. I think for depression, that's what the new standard is going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're depressed. Mm-hmm. Here's your brain scan. Now okay. we know where to treat you. And five days later, your depression can be over. Now, could it come back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. We accept that that's true with other conditions. But remission of symptoms is the endpoint we're talking about, not a 50% reduction. And so part of the problem is we've been focused on evidence-based treatment without asking, yeah, but evidence to do what and for whom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the evidence we have for oral medications is that they get depression 50% less bad, but not over, mm-hmm. in people who've never touched an antidepressant before and none of whom are suicidal in the studies. Mm-hmm. And that's not the cohort we're talking about with Saint. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. We have myriad other devices now. We have the Nightwear Watch, which is an Apple Watch with an AI algorithm that can knock you out of PTSD-related nightmares. Not a drug. You wear it on your wrist and your nightmares get better with almost an order of magnitude improvement. So how in the world does this, tell me, tell us more about that. Yeah. Uh, So Dan Carlin, who is a friend and mentor and now the chief medical officer at Mind Medicine, uh, was the, the scientist who helped develop that with the company Nightwear. And they took an Apple Watch, which has tons of ability to collect data, and they analyzed people having nightmares. And it turns out if you vibrate a watch on someone's wrist at just the right moment, given their physiology, you can knock them out of a nightmare without waking them up. And that's what it does. And so people who have distressing nightmares, many of whom have post-traumatic stress disorder, can Mm -hmm. sleep through the night because the nightmare is physiologically interrupted by a a watch on the wrist. That's it. Wow. And that's the AI-guided future that I see coming together, right? It's not having nightmares because the device knocks you out of them. It's not having depression anymore because once we know you have it, the brain scan plus the clinical diagnosis targets just the right spot. It's not having PTSD maybe at all because the PRISM device by Gray Matters Health is an EEG guided neurofeedback system where you don't have to talk about the trauma. You put on a cap that measures your brain waves and you use your own brain as its own stimulator to turn down trauma because you're down-regulating the amygdala's function. That's here now. That's an FDA-cleared breakthrough. And so we just had breakthrough, 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 mm-hmm. right? And there's more, and there's more coming. And psychedelic medicine is coming right behind that. These are huge deals, not little differences. So, Owen, my, my worry is that what you're talking about is the ending of this income stream for a sick care model. And there's forces that are at work that don't want that in healthcare. Yep. There are also forces that are, you know, functionally aligned against that. So I, you know, I I talk a lot about ERISA fiduciary duty and the Americans with Disabilities Act on my Mm -hmm. newsletter, because literally right now, the most successful class action law firm in history when it comes to the ERISA Act, which is the 1974 law that made health benefits tax exempt and also 401ks. Well, there is a massive class action lawsuit being put together in every circuit court in the country. And this is a law firm that has a 2-0 record at the Supreme Court already in ERISA enforcement. But the in 2021, the law was changed. And they took the duty of a fiduciary, right, someone who has to act in the interest of somebody else, and they copy-pasted it from 401k plans, and they took the same language 
and they made it apply to health benefits. And so now your CEO or your CFO, can you pause for just one second? Sure. Okay. Sorry. Yep. person is here early so we'll do it again yeah no no worries um, so you were going um big lawsuit and your ceo and your cfo of every company who buys health benefits has a fiduciary duty to make sure they're in the interest of plan members mm -hmm. and so there is an incentive and the trick here is that's personal liability right okay. that's a big deal nobody wants mm -hmm. to be personally liable it was a very strategic change in the law because 401k plans being a scam, well, no directors and officers policy wants to sign off on criminal behavior. And by making it covered under the same law, it means that you have as a CEO or CFO of a company, personal liability with no insurance coverage whatsoever on your behavior if you don't meet those criteria. So now every employer in the country is, whether they know it or not, aligned against predatory healthcare expenses. Mm. Well, and what about massive lawsuits right now are happening against well, companies that breach that duty? Lockheed Martin just got served this week. Mm. What about just and just when you think about um, the whole act of health insurance to begin with? Yep. Like the, I mean, is it unconstitutional? I know this is crazy, but like the IRS, some of these weird, I mean, I'm saying this because I know you are always out on big topics, but when you think about it, to me, it seems like the biggest uh, sucking of, of, of Americans' net worth and savings is health care. Yes, it is. And so it takes it right out of your income, and you almost don't even see it over 30 years. Yeah. Tell it like that needs to me, that and the cost of education are the two things that really need to be somehow worked out. So, I mean, I, but I think that the, the law I'm talking about is what makes that happen. Okay. Right? So, so if, if your employer has a duty mm -hmm. and personal liability on not scamming you with the health benefits they provide, okay, they have to be in your interest or that maybe very wealthy person is on the hook for millions of dollars and plausibly criminal charges because it's tax evasion. Okay. Right. So we're so, talking about the same thing. I'm just yeah, like seeing it a different way. Okay. But cool. I, I'm agreeing with you. The biggest reason why people don't make enough money in America is their money is being sucked down the rat hole of $480 yeah. billion a year in pharmacy benefit managers alone, which do nothing but yeah. increase costs legally. You yeah. could go to the moon, sorry, to the sun and back. Tomorrow. For a dollar a meter and still have the profits of United Healthcare left over every single year. It's cheaper to pay for the entire trip to Saturn. Every Mars, you got to include Mars. This is Mars. Past, past, <laughs> past Mars. The entire okay. U.S. Okay. I'll, in 2022 dollars, entire space shuttle program, 199 billion. Entire Apollo mission to the moon, every single one, 109 billion. Hubble Space Telescope, 10 billion. Take 10 of those, right? <laughs> and you still have less than the revenue in one year from pharmacy benefit managers, which put medicines into tears, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So until we get right with God about the fact that it's not in your interest or my interest to have our drugs marked up 
for the profits of somebody who is not us and buying a plan that makes sure it costs more is not something that can be tax exempt and is a breach of fiduciary duty, which puts you, Mr. CEO and CFO, who mm -hmm. personally have to sign off on that not being the case on the hook. Well, now we have a compliance problem. And basically, I think people don't want to get fired and they don't want to do something wrong and they don't want to get busted and they have every reason to avoid doing things that'll send them to jail or put them in big trouble or make them broke. And if that's having to act in the interest of their plan members, AKA employees and most of us getting employer-sponsored healthcare, then great. Then we're all on the same mission, which is cheaper healthcare. And you do that by making it better, not uh, healthcare. So, that so, is, fiduciary duty. so is this going to do what, um, that, what was that health plan with Buffett and Morgan, JP Morgan, yeah, is this going to do what they never could do? Haven? What, is it I just mean, that is Buffett does he, was he just, he's just making too much money to, 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 uh, you know, what, or is it just too complicated? I mean, what no, do you no, think? What, no, I mean, Haven failed for a bunch of really understandable reasons. Oh. Um, and I won't get into it cause it's boring. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but like, there are things possible now with the right incentives. If I can get your depression to be over with no medicine, which I told you with Saint, mm -hmm. you can. And there are mm -hmm. other things as well. If I can use the Monarch ETNS device, which mm -hmm. is an ADHD treatment, like I personally use every night mm -hmm. off label because I'm an adult and we don't have an adult approval yet, but my doctor prescribed it. Um, and we can treat ADHD without any medicine at all with an effect size for half of kids, seven through 12, which is who it's approved for. Mm -hmm. uh, that's twice as good as stimulants. Shouldn't we try that first? Yeah. And it's cheaper by a lot. So do the things that are cheaper first mm -hmm. that work better. Next question, <laughs> right? And if it becomes your duty to do the cheaper, better thing first, well, then you're gonna, because mm -hmm. you can say, please do the cheaper, better thing. But if it's hard or boring or complicated, you're just gonna sign up for the thing your friend who you play golf with says is a good deal. Except now he has to disclose the kickbacks or rebates he's getting for saying that to you. Mm -hmm. And you have to sign off that there is no gag clause in what he told you. And you mm -hmm. have a right to your data as an employer. So look, there are plenty of compliance things we deal with all the time. Like nobody wants to commit fraud and mm -hmm. go to jail for it. For a number, like you can't steal your employee's 401k plan money. That's a crime. Mm -hmm. And now you similarly can't steal their money by giving them crappy health benefits that are not in their interest. How much time do you have? I know I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so I got about 10 more minutes now. All right. This is going to be the best 10 minutes ever because on Planetary Health. I have someone to treat. You have to safe. work. You have to actually I have, work. I have to put a brain magnet targeted stimulator on that's someone's awesome. head. Because that's what I'm doing this morning. That is such a good um, shout out. You know, like the proof of the doing. Doing the doing. Yeah. Cool. These are all things that happen here now in my office. What's your favorite restaurant? Uh, arugula in West Hartford. Okay. And what, what kind of food is that? Mediterranean. It's really Ooh. good. Yeah, West so is it like, is it like some really, what, what is the dish you eat there? Uh, they have a, a roasted eggplant wonton Napoleon, which I have loved oh. for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of when we get together in person, where are we going to, where, where's the place where we're going to have some sushi too. Okay. And where's that place? Uh, well, it depends if it's in your neck of the woods or mine, but 
All right, your neck of the woods. Uh, well, if it's in my actual neighborhood, we'll just go to Sugarfish because it's down the street. Um, and if we want to go fancy, like there's plenty of fancy sushi in New York. Mm. Yusuda is really good. See, I don't even know what good sushi is because I don't live in the Big Apple. Do they still, I guess the Big Apple, what do they call New York now? Yeah, it's still the Big Apple. All right. Sometimes. I mean, it's I'm still the center. Person. It's still the center of the world, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, whether we That's want awesome. to be or not. Is it coming back? Uh, a bit, yeah. I hope so. I think it's so important. All right, I well. I don't disagree. What's your favorite tea? Oh, uh, so it's either a really good chai, which I had this morning, um, but I love white tea. I white tea. I love jasmine, uh, silver needle. I, I'm a tea snob. I'm a huge tea snob. Yeah, I like that. So you have tea in tins. You don't do tea in bags. Uh, I do. Yeah, I have tea, loose leaf. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, um, anything. not making the water too hot. <laughs> so you have to, so really, you you have to keep it at a certain you don't so, want to like burn so, it. So I was an organic chemistry teacher. Um, oh my actually, gosh. I was one of the top 10 MCAT instructors in America two years running. Um, and so I did a little thing on my sub stack about it. But um, for tea, um, it gets bitter for some teas if the temperature is too hot. So the, the solubility constant um, oh, is God. something that changes with temperature. And, and so what you're doing with different teas is you're brewing them at the right temperature so that the bitter compounds don't become soluble in water. Mm. And if you brew white tea at, in boiling water, it's bitter. If you brew it at 180 degrees, the bitter compounds are not yet soluble. And so you get much less bitter tea by a lot if you brew it in water that's 180 degrees than if you brew it in water that's boiling. So I have an electric kettle that only heats it up to 180. And I'm oh really careful about only heating it up to 180 <laughs> for white tea and getting it boiling for black tea because they're different things. And you adjust the 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 compounds that come into your tea by, in that process. So if you've had cold brew coffee and it tastes really smooth, that's because they're changing the solubility of the compounds in the coffee by changing the temperature of the water. And a little bit of science makes for better tea and makes for better brain medicine. So here it is on Planetary Health. First, yeah. you've heard Owen Mayer read the tea leaves and telling you about tea leaf reading. <laughs> and it is an art and science to that. Yeah. Who would ever know? Is there a tea place? And, and is there like a tea house? Or I, I, I have to be careful. Isn't yeah. there a term for something else? I think yeah. in China, a tea house is like, isn't that where the, like a prostitution joint for truck stops or something? I don't know. But um, there, there's some good tea uh, places in, in New York. There is great. I love a great, great tea. And there right. are great places to get it. Uh, tea and sympathy over on the west side. It's fabulous. All right, tea and sympathy. Yeah. Well, next time I have you on, or you come on, or whether in person or not, we'll have to have tea. And uh, strong I, I, agree. Um, yeah. Any, I, I like yerba mate, but someone told me it causes cancer or something. The way they burn it or something. I was like, God, really? Do you have to ruin that to me? You know. So. And I looked it up on the Mayo, whatever, and I guess there is something because of the way they dry it over a fire or something. So there's like a kind of a, I, I don't know, the way they dry the leaves. But I don't know if you're familiar with that tea, Yerbe Mate, the yeah, Argentinian tea. I, I don't love it because it's, it's a tisane, right? So not from the tea plant. Um, and it's too caffeine-y for me. Just like Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you like the sort of uh, the... 
so the the very smooth uh, effect of of the the version of caffeine that's in tea, um, I find pleasant. Okay. Um, and doesn't get me too riled up. I have uh, I don't I don't love my heart racing for no reason. Yeah. Um, coffee also is it turns out like one of the healthier things you can do. Uh, there's a dose dependent relationship up to 10 cups a day with improved all cause mortality with coffee. So the nurses health study had 80,000 nurses over 40 years who are great reporters. And when you control for smoking up to 10 cups a day benefits in heart attack, stroke, all cause mortality. It's remarkably healthy. Coffee. Sugar out. Yeah. Black. It's black. Pete's. Yeah. If you can do black, great. If you want a little bit of cream, that's not bad either. It increases satiety signaling and see so eat less at the yeah. next meal. That's awesome. Well, as before we send off to Mars, tell me anything, any shout out, what you're up to. Yeah. I mean, tell us. Sure. So um, the frontier psychiatrist.substack.com is my newsletter. It's also a podcast. Uh, you can write daily, <laughs> like every single day I write or, or publish something. Uh, I have a conference coming up um, the 7th of January in San Francisco. That's the night before the JPM Health Conference called Rapid Acting Mental Health Treatment 2024. And tickets are available on Eventbrite for that now. It's not that expensive. We're having it in a classy art gallery. And you're going to get to hear uh, the inventor of Saint, Dr. Nolan Williams. You're going to get to hear uh, Brandon Bensley from Magnus Medical. You're going to get to hear uh, Videra Health, which does some of the AI work with my colleagues at IRX Reminder. You're going to get to hear uh, Grady Hanna, the CEO of Nightwear, which I mentioned. It is going to be a blockbuster event uh, and more. We have Michelle Burnaby, who's a remarkable registered nurse uh, who administered the first esketamine dose on the anniversary of 9-11 to a 9-11 survivor in New York City on its 20th anniversary, telling that story. We're talking about the rapid changes that are possible. So that's the 7th of January and Rapid Acting Mental Health Treatment 2024 is the name of that event. Um, I got music on Spotify and other places, uh, just my name, Owen Muir, and uh, my practice is in New York. It's called Fermata, and I do a bunch of other stuff. I do some consulting work, some FDA regulatory, some expert witness work, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, because uh, I want everybody to succeed, and I do not have a basket in which to put all of my eggs, uh, other than being a relentless advocate for a better future and for those of goodwill. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me on, as, you, you know. Let's do it again. I love the, let's, let's do it. And we did. I really thank you. And let me just send us off the little uh, ditty. If I can find it on my little thing. Get ready I don't to know. dance. Yep. Let's dance. Friends, it has been a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Follow us for more on Planetary Health First. Mars next. Until next time, peace be with you. Mm -hmm.